When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken. We are back again on Amazing Business Radio with another amazing guest. So excited that we have Klaus Fornell with us. And if you don't know who that is, this is my new title for him, the godfather of customer satisfaction. He's the man, the myth, the legend, and he is the distinguished Donald C. Cook Emeritus Professor of Business at the University of Michigan. And in 1994, he started the American Customer Satisfaction Index, known as ACSI. And this is essentially research on all the brands and companies and their customer satisfaction scores. It's an unbelievable resource. Uh, the way I used it way back in the day when I first learned about it, it started in 1994. The way I used it was to actually look at the companies that were top performing. And then I went out and did my research to learn just how they got there. And I was pretty excited that there was this uh, research available that uh, Klaus and his team had put together. Before we get into the interview, a couple of quick announcements. If you've got an amazing story or a question, please just reach out to me on any of the social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, you name it, I'm there. And if it is a question, use the hashtag AskShep. I'll either answer the questions right there. Uh, you can send them in to me via email or on my website, and I'll answer maybe here on the show in my newsletter or on my TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home. Episodes can be found on Apple TV, uh, Amazon Prime, Roku, C-Suite TV, and you can go to BeAmazing.tv. That's BeAmazing.tv. And that's what this is about, being amazing, getting amazing interviews. Klaus Fresnel, how are you? Great to be here with you. Thank you for joining us. Good. Very, very good to be here. Uh, thank you for, uh, for having me. So, Klaus, and it's okay, I could get formal and call you Dr. Fornell because I'm bowing down to you. The people can't see this because it's audio, but this is truly customer service, customer satisfaction royalty. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out with the big gun here. So, well, let's jump into it. Um, let's start with ACSI, the American Customer Satisfaction Index out of the University of Michigan's Business School. How did it start? What's the history there? As you can probably tell from my accent, I wasn't born in this country. I'm Swedish originally, been living in the United States for, for quite some time now. So it actually started uh, on two tracks. One was sort of personal. The other one was uh, in Sweden, where I was wondering why it was that uh, economies uh, measured basically everything in quantity, quantity of outputs. You know, that's what GDP is. Then we, we, we slap a price on it and we, we calculate, you know, how much it has grown or, or uh, gone the other way. Uh, so I thought that, yeah, this is really tell us everything there is to know. We also need something about the quality of economic output. 
And then the next question was, well, who determines quality? And if you have a, a market economy, it's pretty obvious. It's got to be the market, the consumer, uh, the people who, who actually use this stuff. So that's how it started. And we, we started with something called uh, the Swedish Customer Barometer from the Stockholm School of Economics. And that's where I started to get the, the data and, and put it all together. But there was another track that sort of led me into this that came before. And that is uh, in, in the days when I grew up, military service was mandatory in Sweden. And I was selected for cryptology because I apparently I was good at figuring these kinds of things out. And one of the topics, one of the challenges we had, and this is, I, I guess, relevant today, we, Sweden was concerned about what the Russians were doing in their neighborhood, in the Baltic Sea. And we thought that they had many subs crawling on the bottom. We never saw them uh, because they were unobservable, basically, to us. But we had a bunch of murky pictures and you know, various indicators that they were there. So I was looking at, at these things that uh, we, we later came to, to call actual unobservables. So I started uh, trying to figure out oh, how, do you, how do you get from the unobservable to something that is truly observable, that, that you can see and can tell what it is. And there, there are a number of methods for that. And that came in very, very handy when I started to study economics. Uh, classic economics was actually very interested in, in consumer satisfaction, but it was difficult to measure. And when, when economics became more and more quantitative, the whole profession, in my view, gave up on it. And instead they called it consumer utility. And they also realized that I mean, you can't really measure utility. You can't see this stuff. So what was done instead was to observe choice, how people, would choose goods and services and the like, and then infer utility. Now that seemed to me to be sort of a, a long way to go about it. So I started looking at psychometrics and the like, and there they have something they call factors or latent variables, things that are indirectly observable. So they're not completely hidden, but you, know, you can't really uh, see them. So I applied this in, in Swedish, Swedish index, um, you know, something that we borrowed and then we added to it from psychometrics, latent variables. That is multiple indicators or multiple measures, if you will, to, to a variable like customer satisfaction. And that turned out to be pretty good because we could predict a number of things. We could explain it. And I think, you know, our measurements became pretty, pretty accurate. So how, when did you start doing this for the University of Michigan? So then I, I, I moved to, well, I, I was at Berkeley first as a doctoral student and then, then at Michigan. And I, I began to look more at, at this, the, the intersection between economics and psychometrics and really thought I had something. And I was really interested in figuring out something that could complement the quantity of economic output, i.e. GDP, 
and the quality of economic output, because I thought that was very important, uh, not only in general, but for a country's welfare and ability to compete on world markets and so forth. And uh, Michigan was great. They had incredible resources. So I started working with uh, uh, you know, other um, somewhat unusual characters in, on the faculty. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. There was, there was one guy. What makes them unusual? Well, this, this, this person was studying uh, fish bones in the unborn fetus. And I, I don't know if there's a relationship there or not, but I, I was not particularly interested in those topics, but he did it with measures or methods, I should say, that I could actually use. That ah. is number of, just like the, the Russian submarines, we had murky pictures and all right, maybe an indicator here and there, but there was a way to put all those together if we had some idea of what they would lead to. And we put all these, this became, uh, you know, a, a fairly big systems of equations of unobservable variables that we also then put into a cause and effect type of framework. Is there an easy calculation here or an easy way you get to understanding if a company rates high on the index versus low? Yeah, the, I, I think the understand the, the mathematics is, is complicated. Let me just say one more thing about the economic or the mathematics. Um, we had more unknowns than equations, which is problematic if you're, if you're a mathematician. So we, we had to figure out a way to solve that. So it, this, this turned out to be quite complicated, but there is a solution for it. But at the same time, at least I realized that whatever we presented to the public or to other research for that matter, had to be easy to understand. So, so we basically scaled the whole thing from, from zero to 100. And then we used percentages to... to, to uh, yep. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, obviously the calculation behind it. Do you take customer uh, reaction, sentiment, uh, commentary that you see out there, reviews, et cetera, into consideration into the index? Only to help us interpret. It, it's difficult to get that into the mathematics, but uh, sometimes it's, it's pretty clear from uh, what we collect. We do collect commentary, and uh, things of that nature, in addition to the survey data itself, which is a bunch of questions with uh, you know, scaling uh, kind of response to it. Mm -hmm. So I want to get into the stock market performance, uh, not of specific companies, but there's so much uh, written about how if you were to invest in the top performing companies in customer satisfaction, that you would have an incredibly large return on your investment. But before we do that, just to get people excited and anticipating, we're going to take a short break. So we're coming right back with Dr. Klaus Fornell, uh, the founder and chairman of the ACSI American Customer Satisfaction Index. We will be right back. Don't go away. Hi, Shep Hyken, your customer service and experience expert. And I'm excited to tell you about my new book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to come back again and again. Now, this book is packed with idea after idea on how to, just as the title implies, get your customers to come back. In the book, you'll learn that repeat customers aren't always loyal customers. Now, both are great, but there's a big difference. You'll also learn about 10 reasons a customer may stop doing business with you and three reasons 
you would stop doing business with them. And one of my favorite lessons is a six-step process for creating an I'll Be Back strategy. Of course, there's much, much more. You'll start getting more of your customers to say, I'll be back almost immediately. Just go to www.I'llBeBackBook.com. Again, that's www.I'llBeBackBook.com. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio, and we're talking with Klaus Fornell, and we are going to get into this topic now that I think is fascinating. I recently had Fred Reicheld on the show. I've had other people that have done uh, really research and understanding who the best performing companies are when it comes to customer satisfaction. Obviously, the net promoter score, if you're highly likely to recommend a company, that would probably indicate you're satisfied with the company. And by the way, that word satisfied, and I want to ask you about that. I, I don't like the word satisfied. I think satisfactory is like an average rating. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be better that you got to more than satisfy the customer if you want to come back again and again and again and make them loyal. Anyway, um, I, I, let's start there. How do you feel about that word satisfactory? I, I agree with you. That doesn't sound too great. And what, what we do in the mathematics, um, now it gets a little technical, but not much. I mean, I also make wine and I have the same process there. Uh, you know, it's very different. But variable that we call customer satisfaction. Now I calibrate that just like I do with my wine to get the right, you know, uh, uh, acidity and uh, sugar content and all that stuff. I calibrate it towards customer retention and profitability. And as most people know who, who have studied this, the return on loyal customers is just tremendous. I mean, it's, it's an exponentially steep and growing function. So, so that, that's the background there. But I don't know if you have a better word for, for satisfaction. Um, well, satisfactory is average. Uh, I can say that you know, average. So uh, you, poor, you fair, very satisfied, satisfied, maybe, you know, good and excellent. You know, so, yeah. uh, right. But when we talk about, and as we talk about the satisfaction index, it's like, are they highly satisfied or not so satisfied? So when you start to get to highly, you're looking at better than just average, obviously. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about stock market performance tied to these great companies. As I was getting ready to say, we've had Fred Reicheld on. He talked about his Fredzy, which has been averaging a 26% return in the market. That's very high. I wrote an article about the companies that are easiest and convenient and simplest to do business with. And in a 10-year period where the stock market uh, came back and returned about 208%, they beat the market by more than 600 points. And so- how do you do that? And uh, as you look at these companies, and when I looked at the most recent list of the best performing companies, I saw companies on there like Toyota, you know, uh, what I would call cyclical companies. And I'd be a little nervous to say, okay, I'm going to invest in, in uh, that type of company. But I would just, uh, in a very broad brush uh, strokes here, and I realize you can only talk about so much because of the SEC and we don't want to get into making recommendations, but give us some insight on how there's a correlation between great performing companies 
and the ACSI and great performing companies in the stock market. Yes. And uh, it all comes from, from the fact that there are great returns on retention. And if I don't say it uh, in, in, uh, immediately here, ask me later just the mechanism how this comes about. But uh, so uh, we, we have a research on this and we actually do it in practice, but I'm not going to talk much about that. If you um, look back on the stock market, and let's say I have numbers here from um, uh, 2006 to, to end of uh, 2021, 15 years. The stock market, the S&P 500, grew by 429%. So this was a good time. That's a good time to invest. Period, right? Now, when we take the top 30 to 35 companies in the ACSI, you need to have a portfolio here because some things will not work out. And I can talk about that later. then, and, and, and we, we uh, uh, obviously, as soon as new information, new data comes in about the ACSI, we either buy and sell depending on whether the company is in the top 30 or 35. It varies a little depending on if they, things like that. But if the market had a 429% return, uh, these top ACSI companies, are you sitting down? I'm sitting down. Okay, had a return of 1,788%. And I'm not talking about a single company or the, or the five sort of top companies. I'm talking about a portfolio of 30 to 35 companies. And this is four times what the stock market has done. Yeah. 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 Wow. And that, that just blows my mind. And, and I, so there's a direct correlation to, uh, I mean, when, and people say, I don't know if I want to invest in, in uh, customer service and customer experience. And I go, how can you afford not to? Well, you need to prove to me that it's worthwhile. Now, we're looking at large publicly held companies, but still, I think the principle trickles down to even some of the smallest companies. You know, if you, you know, it, I, always, I always joke, I see this poster in my dentist's office that say, which teeth do you want to floss? Only the ones you want to keep is the answer. Well, which customers uh, do you want to come back? Or, or who should I give the best customer service to? Only the ones you want to come back. Right. Uh, and I think to your point, you just said it a moment ago uh, that there's a definite, um, uh, there's a correlation between retention. So loyal customers, I think, play a big factor in making that return much higher. Huge. But they have to come back for the right reason. It is also true, I can mention companies in, in the past, if it's also true that Walmart, for example, they have customers come back, but not because they are crazy about the service and the quality. They come because of price and uh, oftentimes uh, uh, the, many of these customers do not have the means to shop somewhere else. So is, is Walmart on the list? Of- no. No, not no, at all. Because it I doesn't. Think... It, it, no, it doesn't yeah. have. It, it's it's an exception in the sense it doesn't have high satisfaction, but it has high retention. Mm. The margins are small, and uh, you know, if, if you compare them to uh, uh, Costco, for example, high customer satisfaction, good profits, 
and a much better stock return. Now, so all we need to do is take a look at, at Walmart, which, by the way, has a good track record. OK. Oh, yeah. There yeah, was yeah. a few no, years not, in there that they were yeah. they were struggling, uh, not struggling as a company, but struggling in the stock market. But if you take a look at the Walmart versus Costco, high customer satisfaction, high retention on 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 Costco, high retention on Walmart, but lower customer satisfaction. That's right. Yeah. And by the way, right. uh, the executives at Walmart would not be uncomfortable with us talking about them this way because they know the way to the uh, to get what they want to keep the prices low is to not have so many people walking the floors. You're not walking. You're not going to go into wall a Walmart and expect to get a Nordstrom experience. Yeah, no. You can, as we used to say in my days as a spy, you could always buy loyalty, or you could earn it. Yep. It's a difference. Yeah. So buying loyalty is keeping the price low. Exactly. Earning loyalty. And by the way, Costco is known for their low prices too. Yeah, right. But there's plenty of places you can go to get low-priced merchandise. Why go to Costco when you can get similar merchandise elsewhere? And at Costco, you've got to pay to walk through that door. Right. right. So, and when you talk about retailers, you can talk about Amazon. Here, high satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, great profits. Extremely uh, good stock returns. Phenomenal. Right. Now with Amazon, Amazon is known, they have AWS, their Amazon web services. So there's a, uh, as big as Amazon is known for their retail and consumer side, I think, uh, the other side is even larger. Yeah. Yep. It's interesting. Yeah. Take, since we're on the uh, big companies now, let's take Facebook. Hmm. It'll, it dropped recently in, in, in the stock market like a, like a rock. It had very good returns too, but low satisfaction. Now, why is that? Because the, the, the users are not the real customers. They are not the guys paying. Those are the advertisers. And they mm-hmm. were to be happy. So one has to be a bit careful as to who, who determines things here. Right. So that's interesting. Are there, um, you know, are there companies that uh, like, like a Nordstrom, they're in the retail world. And, and, and by the way, so is Costco and all that. But Nordstrom yeah. is known for very, very high satisfaction. Um, they, it, you know, with the changing landscape of retail. And I realize you said there's a portfolio of 30 to 35 companies. Yeah. Some are going to do great and some aren't so, so great, but they all meet the same criteria of being high level satisfaction to their customers. Right. Now, Nordstrom is an interesting example. Uh, they were in, in, in this portfolio of, of high ACSI companies. Uh, about a month or two ago or so, their stock price dropped like a rock. But that had nothing to do with customer satisfaction. It had to do with supply problems. Ah, yep. Mm-hmm. And which, by the way, long when I say long term, not that long a term, six months, a year down the road, that's going to impact customer satisfaction. When we walk in, we can't get our merchandise. When we order something online and it doesn't show up for two or three months because yeah. of supply chain issues. And uh, we're getting calls all the time. Can you help yeah. us on what to tell our customers? <laughs> yeah, that's already happened. Uh, yeah. Customer satisfaction is dropping nationwide. 
um, at, the, at the rate that we haven't ever seen before. Uh, a good part of that is, of course, the shortage economy. Mm-hmm. Also have a, a very unusual situation today. I would go so far as to say that investing in customer satisfaction today, hopefully his time period is reasonably short, is not going to deliver outperformance because we have more demand than supply, which means that in the relation buyer-seller relationship, the seller now has more power than the buyer. And it's almost to the extreme as we know that the good economy, you have sellers competing for buyers. Now we have almost the other way around. Buyers are competing with the short supply or the scarcity of stuff in the stores. Therefore, you're not going to get any extra points or extra profit from customer satisfaction if you have a situation where there's scarcity, but people have money to spend and uh, you know there, there's no there's no real competition uh, now but there's probably been years in the last 15 years where the index may, maybe it may have outperformed uh, the S&P but it didn't perform well because of economic trends supply chain issues oh, sure. think yeah. back to 2008 and 9 which uh, I mean, which is a little within that 15 years. How did you perform during that down economy? Well, when the stock market uh, uh, goes down, let me let me talk about this too because this is this is incredibly important, but it is slightly technical, and that has to do with the um, the traditional way of viewing business and economics and investment. And uh, it has to do with high risk, high return. That has been sort of a dogma for a long, long time. And not only is it the case that firms that are very good with their customers have them very, very satisfied and and loyal, uh, do better. But when I look at the stock returns and the model for, for stock market, we also have lower risk and risk in the stock market can be measured in many ways. One is volatility and it's actually lower for high satisfaction companies, but that's understandable because they're mm-hmm. loyal. They back and, you know, we, we have a better grip on, on revenue streams, cash flows, etc. But there's also another measure and hopefully I can explain this to the people who listen to us who are not stock market um, uh, experts necessarily, but that is something called the beta risk, which beta is a, is a measure of how correlated your portfolio is to the market. And the traditional view has been that you don't want that to be too correlated because if the market goes down, you, go, you, you may go down even more, especially if, if um, the relationship is, is over 100%, so if you have 120, if the market goes down and, and you have 120 uh, beta or 1.2 beta, you go down 20% more. That's not what you want. But as I started looking at this as a mathematician and an economist, 
I see something completely different. And that is that data that, that measures that, that systematic risk is not static in customer satisfaction. I call it a surfing beta, which means that in an up market, the beta goes up. So you actually make more on the, on, on the beta and that's not the risk. And in a down market, you have a lower beta. So you lose less in a down market as well. So this is something that very few people are aware of, but it makes perfect sense. It, it does. And about when, loyalty, when, customer satisfaction, and retention. Right. When you talk to the stockbroker who says we're going to create, and by the way, I appreciate the conservativeness of my financial advisor who says, let's invest in multiple different types of industries and markets, because as the market goes up, you'll go up. You may not go up quite as much, but when you go down, you won't go down as low either. And what you're saying is uh, taking a look at this these high customer satisfaction level companies, uh, you will reduce your risk on the lower side and you could actually outperform on the upper, which means yeah, it's contradictory to, to what's traditional. Yeah, what I'm saying is, hey, you can have both. Yeah, yeah, I love Low it. Low risk and high return. Yeah, yeah, but that's the fantastic. the nature of this type of investment. And that mm-hmm. served that now for 15 years. And uh, right. you know, well, it's understandable, but very unusual. Yes, uh, and, and I love it. Unfortunately, I could talk to you for hours and we're just about out of time. So I want to ask you, the one thing question, the last nugget of information you'd like to share. And you can go to the stock market. Or you can go to, here's an idea that will increase your customer satisfaction. Whatever it is, I'd love to hear what your last one nugget of wisdom would be. Well, yeah, the, the best one is probably the one I just said, you know, high, uh, high return, low risk, or low risk, high return. Uh, the, but there is something that is of concern to me right now, beyond the COVID and the Russians and, and all this stuff that is, is causing uh, uncertainty in the market now. And the fact that we have all this, these uh, shortages and uh, normal work markets don't seem to, to work. And that is, as I look back 10 years or so, I don't see customer satisfaction going up. There are companies that are increasing, but overall in the United States, it went up for many, many years, 15 years or so, not, not straight up, but by and large. Then it, the, the rate of increase slowed, and then the increase slowed, and now it's going down. Um, that spells trouble, I think. I don't know if it's a, a competitive issue that we have more concentration now than we had before. I think that's we do have that. Does it um, create uh, anti-competitive uh you know, things. I look at Amazon and I, I think they are in a position to, to dominate the market, but they do very well with their customers. So it's not necessarily the case. Instead, what I think it is, is that when companies get all these data on customers by all kinds of means, certainly survey data, the analytical methods to figure out what is it that we should do in order to uh, uh, increase the satisfaction of our customers? I don't think they get the right information there because it's complicated. Everything is correlated with everything else. And if there's a nugget here, I would advise companies 
without being too technical, to work on things that they get from the surveys or from other sources that have high customer satisfaction elasticity. Now, I can compute that the same way I do price elasticity. There are firms that are very elastic and there are things that are very elastic with respect to customer satisfaction. So if you improve those, your satisfaction will go up. But for some reason, the analytics are not quite there today to do that. I know what to do mm -hmm. uh, in terms of you know, the methods, but somehow that is not getting through to, uh, to companies. Yeah. I say, of course, there are some obvious things that you have to work on that causes dissatisfaction. Uh, and you need to fix those. One is the very concept of time. If things take longer in the whole search, shopping, uh, and buying experience, that is a problem. We see it here and there. I mean, the lines and, and this and that. Ease of use is another one. If, if it's complicated and the customer needs help, very common, and you probably know this, know this as well as I do, that th th there is something that, that needs to be done on that score. And then the, the basic stuff that customers are different. Some they are. That's my theory. Like XYZ and others mm -hmm. hate. So you got to be very good at segmentation. And you shouldn't segment on, you know, whatever, age, gender, and all that stuff. You have to segment on elasticity, which is my word for saying sensitivity to whatever, high quality, you know, that the hat fits really well, and, you know, soccer ball is, is hard and not soft, so forth. Wow. Well, that was definitely more than one nugget. My theory to the reason satisfaction seems to be waning is uh, I believe customers are smarter than they've ever been. Companies like Amazon, you mentioned, and some of the other rock star companies that just nail it when it comes to customer experience overall, to the, all right. the things you talked about, easy to work with, quick to find information, quick to right. find the product, quick deliver, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, these companies are setting the bar higher for everyone else. And even though many of these companies out there are trying, they're not keeping up. And that's therefore, exactly, I think that's right. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's the reason we're seeing a, a, a bit of a change in, in how, uh, you know, it's just getting harder and harder to please people because they're they're definitely more educated and more fickle as a result. Well, they're, they're also more irritated. I mean, they it's easier, or I think they need not a large thing to, to become irritated. Mm -hmm. I mean, get irritated, I don't know, if it's COVID. Their, their patience is lower. At, but even if take away the last two years of things. COVID. Yeah. yeah. It, I don't think it matters. Two, the last two years of COVID, yeah, we became a little bit more impatient, but it was happening before that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, time, I mean, time is costly. Yep. We don't have enough of it. Well, Klaus, thank you. I wish we had more. We're already, I, I think you're the longest interview I've done in over a year. And I know I could talk for another hour. <laughs> and here's the thing, everybody who's listening. In a moment, I'm going to say thanks for tuning in. And I'm going to turn off this recording. Klaus and I are going to talk a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much for being on our show today. All right. Thank you. It was All good. right, everybody, that wraps it up. Another episode of Amazing Business Radio, and we will be back next week with another interview. And until this time or that time, 
This is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.